What's up, everybody, and welcome back to, uh, what are we doing here? We're doing the Sam's Report today. It is January 12th, 2018. Back from CES, back from everything, back from all that good stuff. A uh, couple, couple uh, quick updates, I guess. So I am actually building a computer. I kind of mentioned that last week. I actually ordered the parts yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. And so... Uh, I don't know if I'm going to live stream me building the thing, but I'll definitely have a, a write-up about it and whatever, whatever that happens. But so the actual specs are 7900 Core i9, so that's going to be a 10-core CPU. Uh, it's going to have, let's see, two 1080s. There, I actually already have them. You can see them sitting right back there. Not 1080 Ti's, just regular 1080s and SLI, mostly because I need the monitor support is what is that, uh, that is for. Uh, 32 gigs of DDR RAM and um, just some random storage and whatnot and an asus motherboard and so i'll hopefully be getting those parts next week and hopefully i can build it without destroying um some components so we'll see i haven't actually truly built a pc from the ground up in a long time so i'm actually very excited about this but um yeah so that's going on uh other things going on back from ces like i said I actually took a red eye home and i'll, I'll hit some of the highlights here there's tons of write-ups quite literally everywhere uh, but the the short here is the big announcements for me uh, were clear, pretty clear. Alexa running on Win Oh, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> um, st stop listening. It's now on Windows 10. And so HP, Dell, I don't know if Dell, actually. A bunch of companies, though, I know HP for sure, were showing it off. And it's basically a little app. If you're familiar with the iOS app or Android app, it looks exactly like that, just running on a PC. And then there's PCs built with uh, far-field microphones, and it works just like whatever. So the big question becomes, is Microsoft abandoning Cortana? And Microsoft told us no, and they, they tried to put out some announcements showing some new hardware uh, vendors working with their stuff for the IoT core. Uh, we have the Johnson Controls um, smart thermostat, which I do have a little video of here. I did get to play with it. So this is that uh, Cortana-based smart thermostat from Johnson Controls. And you can see here, it it's actually pretty neat. The UI has a little bit of lag, especially when you get into the calendar stuff. You'll see right here, like it kind of hiccups for a little bit. Um, but... It, the camera isn't great because it's a little oversaturated, but it, it looks pretty nice. It's very clean. It's a good-looking device. I, I will not argue that. Um, it, it is, or argue against that. I really liked it, actually. Um, I was, to be honest, I was pretty impressed with it. And so it does work with Cortana. The problem with it is, though, right now, is that if you have a Harman Kardon Invoke sitting near it, and you say, hey, Cortana, um, oh, geez, a couple of things just blew up in my office. Uh, the thermostat and the Harman Kardon Invoke will both activate. It's not, it doesn't isolate which one is actually closer or whatever. So you have that redundancy issue, which is kind of just shows the um, level of polish that still needs to happen with that platform. Uh, and that's a Microsoft thing. And so there's a couple issues like that. But overall, though, it, it felt really nice. It looks super premium. It'll happen this spring. I don't know if I'm going to buy one. Um, it, it's still a little dicey for me, but I, I do like where it's going and it looked really nice. It, I mean, it just looks nice. So I did get to play with that thing. Um, and Alexa being on Windows 10, that was, I need to stop saying that word, uh, kind of a big deal. Obviously USB type C coming to everything. Uh, not everybody's jumping on the Thunderbolt 3 bandwagon, which is going to be a little confusing for some people, but I'm happy to see that that was starting to become a trend, at least on the premium machines. And as you'd always expect, everyone's touting thinner, lighter, and faster. I mean, it's got to do Intel chips. You know, it, there's nothing too crazy there. Uh, I did get to play with the Lenovo Mix 630, which is the Snapdragon version of um, the Lenovo's Mix lineup. It's basically a Surface Pro looking thing with a Snapdragon. I, I, I got to tell you, I'm really looking 
forward to this stuff hitting the market, getting longer term review, because every time I get to use it, it works. I mean, it, it's no big surprise here. It works well. It's a nice piece of hardware. Um, Snapdragon appears to be okay. Obviously, it's not the most performant thing in the world, but at the same time, it doesn't feel, you know, I bet I could give this thing to like my parents and they'd have no idea what's powering it and they wouldn't care. And that's the beauty of it. And I think I think these things, I'm, I'm optimistic about this future of that direction. Uh, I, I can't wait until we get a couple years down the road and OEMs have a little bit differentiation with them because right now it's all basically what looks to be like the same reference design just with Lenovo adding their own keyboards and that kind of stuff. Same with HP. And so I'm looking forward to when... Uh, PC makers are able to truly customize this stuff and make it their own. But um, for now, I, I'm still pretty pumped about it. And then we also saw a lot of Intel chips with Radeon graphics. Not a big surprise there. That's kind of a, you know, everybody's kind of gunning against NVIDIA at this point. Yeah, and I also did get to play with Lenovo's new Mirage Solo headset, which is a Google Daydream uh, completely wireless setup. Now, you, you can have a wire for earbuds, but in theory, you could use, I believe, Bluetooth headset as well. But I would probably stick with wired headsets for now. Whatever. Um, it's, it's a wireless VR headset from Google, essentially, or from Lenovo powered by Google. And it has a seven-hour seven hour battery. I got to tell you guys, it's pretty dang good. I, I was... Um, I was impressed. So if you've ever used an HTC Vive, it's the graphics and uh, usability is almost identical to that, but with no wires and no light boxes. It has what Google calls inside out, which is what Microsoft calls six degree of freedom. And it all, I got to tell you guys, it's very impressive. I, I'm becoming more and more optimistic about where VR, AR is headed. Uh, this is clearly a stepping stone in that direction, but we're not fully there yet. I don't know how well this generation is going to sell, but as these things get better, now that we're fully wireless with seven hours of battery life, you can begin to see how these things become much more uh, wide scale adopted because it's not like you need a high end PC or anything like that, which kind of makes me hold my breath and think like, okay, Microsoft, when are you going to get your wireless solution there? Because regardless of how... If the graphics if the graphics are better on Microsoft's, but Google's is wireless and easier to use, you're going to lose out to easier and wireless than you will better graphics. Yes, you'll get a niche of um, people who want the best, you know, the best visual clarity. But I got to tell you, Google's is pretty good. Uh, or I should say Lenovo's is pretty good running on Google Daydream. And so to me, wireless it, it takes precedent over... Um, wireless takes precedent over visual graphics at this point because the graphics are good enough and it's much it's a much easier sell now it's going to price for around 400 bucks which is still pricey but you can easily see how in maybe two years or so that price point probably drops to 200 bucks for this entry-level stuff and i think at that price point it becomes very compelling very compelling and so uh, we're, we're not fully there yet where AR VR is mainstream, but we, I, I think this is a big step. One of the things we haven't seen, obviously, is Magic Leap. It was actually kind of a running joke at CES, was at least among anybody who's talking about AR VR, whether it be Microsoft, Google, anybody. They're all like, yeah, you know, here we're shipping products and Magic Leap is still $2 billion. And they announced a dev kit coming sometime in 2018 after, yeah. Uh, Magic Leap was kind of like the butt of a lot of jokes from a lot of different people and not not just Microsoft people. Trust me, it was not just Microsoft people because people are waiting for this thing and it's not here. We don't know when it's coming. So anyways, uh, that's kind of it. I mean, there's a lot of crazy crap at CES. There's there's a machine that would fold your clothes for you. Um, there was a dishwasher that sits on your on top of your counter that isn't plugged in or doesn't 
need a water line. Um, everything is now getting a digital assistant. That was kind of the theme. It's like you had this thing from last year. How do you make it uh, 2018? Well, you put a digital assistant in it. Like that's like Samsung is now shipping like refrigerators with Bixby that nobody wants Samsung. So nobody wants Bixby, uh, but it's going to be coming on your TVs and your refrigerators and everything else. And then uh, kind of the other trend at CES is shoving more crap into a TV that you don't need. There was marketing vomit all over everything. I think it was LG is now saying there's AI in their TV. It's like, guys, I want a dump screen that connects to an HDMI box. That's it. Like, I don't need AI in my freaking TV. I just need it to freaking work, make it thin, make it cheap. But they have to find a differentiator. So they're shoving AI in, <laughs> into TVs, man. Like, uh, they're... It kills me how hard these companies are trying to differentiate a TV that is basically just a dumb screen. I don't know about you guys, but I don't really use the apps. There are some good apps even on this one back here. Uh, this is a, a Samsung TV, like one or two years old, 4K. It's beautiful, beautiful set. But the built-in apps are still shit. Like, they're terrible. And anything from like a Roku to an Apple TV to an Xbox to a Chromecast has better apps in these TVs. And you know they're going to be supported. That's my problem with all this stuff is that it comes with all this built-in crap. And that what's the support going to be? Are these companies actually going to update their apps and make sure they're great uh, for the life of the device? I mean, refrigerators last 10 plus years. Is Are they going to update Bixby for 10 plus years on that particular refrigerator? I'm going to go with no, they're probably not. So anyways, um, not, a, there wasn't a whole lot of like real crazy stuff. I can tell you absolutely clearly the ultimate winner of CES 2018 was Qualcomm by far. That company is on a roll because their chips are in everything from, um, the smart speakers, uh, to the headsets, like the Google daydream headsets. That's what is running that um, they the Qualcomm chips are in the smartphones. Qualcomm is the company that that ran and won CES 2018 because they were in they were a part of it. Seemed like every presentation that we went to, and their chips are everywhere. That Snapdragon 835 is uh, is impressive and you know good for them. They they've they've carved out their their niche, and so that's kind of CES 2018. You can go read about it on Throt or Petri or not so much on Petri, but um, I put it through up a couple of videos. It's to be honest, the reason I go there is that it's one I, I really don't like going there, but one, it's Microsoft is there, so I met with met with them and you know I was able to chat and all that good stuff. But also Lenovo, HP, and all those guys that we talk to throughout the year are there. It's easy, it's just one place to go, talk to all the major vendors, and kind of just, you know, keep keep good relations with them, if you will. But uh yeah, so CES twenty eighteen, I think it's still technically running today. The power went out, it was raining in Vegas, which it was ridiculous amount of rain in Vegas. But um yeah, so that's that's winding down. That's over, and we're moving on with life. And so, uh, you know, coming back from CES 2018, the trend was pretty clear. Alexa, I need to stop saying that. I'm going to mute that. I, yeah, I muted it so I can keep saying it. Alexa and Google Assistant were everywhere. They they were coming into everything. It's pretty clear that those are the digital assistants that third parties are adopting in mass. And so... Somebody, we, we were talking about the future of Microsoft and everyone, everyone kind of throws out that analogy that Microsoft is going to become IBM 2.0 or the next IBM. And while people tend to put that as a negative, 
a negative analogy. I, I don't know if I agree. I mean, think about it. Microsoft is set up extremely well for the next generation of computing, which is cloud. Microsoft is very well entrenched there. I don't think anybody doubts that their future in the cloud is in jeopardy by anybody. Uh, obviously, Amazon is the market leader, but I think Microsoft is going to be able to close that gap over time. Um, if not, they should be able to continue to climb in market share regardless. So uh, from like are they going to be dead next month? Hell no, they're not. Now, the consumer services, a little bit different story, but I think Surface, uh, you know, these guys are going to be around. Whoops, it was just plugged in. This guy is going to be around for a while. Uh, I don't I don't see that becoming an issue. I think Xbox, you know, this thing is going to be around for a while, but every other services might be come and, come and go as we, uh, as we kind of move forward. But IBM 2.0, Microsoft is going to be around for a very long time. It'll be very profitable. They got productivity. They got all that good stuff. Now, the consumer side, like I was just saying, is a little bit of an issue. And so here's kind of what it comes down to. When you look at what's the big threat, the biggest threats to Microsoft's future, um, Amazon, you could put somewhat in that bucket, but Amazon is only a cloud player. And granted, they're Microsoft's largest competitor, uh, but I don't think AWS would truly knock off Microsoft fully. I, I don't think that's um, I don't think that's a true threat. Is it going to be Apple? Apple, absolutely not. Actually, you know, I'll dive into this deeper. I think Apple is a very good complementary to Microsoft at this point. Realistically, the biggest threat I think to Microsoft long term is Google because they have a cloud. Now, granted, it's pretty small compared to even Microsoft's. Um, but it, they, they do have the cash flow to support that growth and they are growing there and the whole market of cloud is growing. And so while their cloud may not be the largest or the best right now, it's got it's got time and it's got money and it's got a segment that's growing and Google is going to continue to seriously invest in that that uh, that segment. Diane Green, who I believe is heading that up, uh, she does great work and they've got a good leader there. Um, then the, on the PC side, they have Chrome OS. Chrome OS you know, it's not a true Windows replacement, but it's a good replacement for a lot of people. And so Chrome OS is going to be very challenging for Microsoft long term as things become thinner and lighter and more browser and web based. Chrome OS is a very viable option. And so and then, of course, they have Android, right? So Google kind of has that the desktop play. Granted, it's still growing and it's it's very much in its infancy, but they have a desktop. They have a very mature uh mobile segment they have a cloud segment they have impressive ai google in my opinion has the best ai uh their google assistant out blows alexa out of the water it's not even close and i actually think that they will eventually surpass amazon in this segment so they have the best ai they've got the a good cloud and so when people say hey i'm a windows phone fan but obviously microsoft has no mobile and they say brad where should i go and Typically, a lot of people say you should go to Android, and I understand why, because it's customizable, more like Windows. You have a little bit better control. Um, it's more, we all, we all know why. We all know why. But if you're truly a Microsoft fan and you're worried about the long-term stability of the company, you should be using an iPhone, in my opinion, mostly because, let's, let's think about this. So a Apple has no cloud. They have they don't have a cloud. They don't have enterprise. They don't have productivity. Microsoft has a very good cloud, has enterprise, has productivity. Microsoft doesn't have a mobile. Apple does have mobile. Microsoft doesn't have music services. Apple does have music services. Um, Apple is basically a very good consumer company. Microsoft is basically a very good enterprise company. They actually match up pretty well now that Microsoft is no longer trying to basically take over iOS uh, and all your apps are on iPhone. They're actually better. They run better on iOS than they do on Android. Granted, iOS 11 isn't perfect, but either is Android if you're even getting the latest updates. And so when I look at the long term 
tech marketplace. I can see Apple doing very well doing exactly what they're doing, and I can see Microsoft surviving very well doing exactly what they're doing. Now, granted, they do overlap in some areas like laptops, but Apple is still pretty small in the laptop market. They sell a couple million every quarter. That's fine. But it's not like they're selling, there's what, like 250 million PCs sold every single quarter or every year. Like they're not, they're not dominant in that area. And so when you look at the two companies, yes, they used to be extremely competitive with each other, but as the two companies have matured and kind of found their new place in the market now that we're out of the late 90s and early 2000s, they're, they're very complementary of each other. And I don't, I don't know how people think that Google is not the biggest threat to Microsoft and they say, oh, it's Apple. But no, Apple's really not. Apple's Siri is garbage. Um, it's worse than Cortana. It's probably worse than Bixby. I'm not extremely familiar with Bixby. And so I, I actually think that Microsoft and Apple teaming up would make a lot of sense. And maybe we're going to start to see some of that um, going forward. And I know some people are going to be like, oh, God, Apple, and like roll their eyes. But you got to look at the reality of where Microsoft is headed and where Apple is headed. Apple is not going to go out build and build $1 billion data centers. Probably even more than that now. The last number I heard was like 1.1 or 1.2 for Microsoft's each data center. Uh, they're not going to go build those out and try to run Windows Server or Linux and sell it to the enterprise. They're never going to do that. That's not who they are. That's not their, it's not where they're headed. And so they're going to need a true back-end support company, which is what Microsoft freaking is. Cortana is just the front of all their data processing. And so people get nervous about Cortana, and I, rightfully so. I absolutely think you should be worried about Cortana, long-term longevity. But at the end of the day, it's just the front end to the Office graph, to the Microsoft graph, to the security graph. They could connect it to any other service. And I'd be very curious to see if Microsoft actually ever decides to start licensing that to say Siri or Alexa uh, or Amazon for that matter to take on Google because Google again is the one that could actually do this on the back end. Amazon is a very good company but they're not they're not they don't have the data infrastructure for AI like Google does. Like every time you upload your photos to Google, they're using that to help train their robots. Microsoft does the same thing with Bing and all the photos and stuff that you upload on OneDrive. I, I would assume don't quote that. And so Amazon doesn't have that data. Apple doesn't have that data. And uh, that's, you know, I'm a pretty firm conviction at this point that if you're an Apple user, an iPhone user, that's a better move for supporting Microsoft at the end of the day than it is Google because you, Google is the next juggernaut. And then I'm, I'm not trying to just bash Google. I think they're a great company and I'm happy that they are challenging Microsoft because that means we, the end user, get a better product. But I know that there's some very... Um, annoyed people that Windows Phone isn't a thing and they're saying, well, I'm holding out and now I'm going to go to Android. But if you if you want to support, continue to support Microsoft, I think iPhone's the way to do it. And so you, you can, I'm sure I'll get some emails and people saying that, you know, that's not true, but um, that's kind of my case. Now, granted, I've, iOS is not nearly as customizable as Android, which is what people like. And if you're looking for a customization, then obviously iOS, but if you're looking for supporting Microsoft long-term, iPhone's where it's at. So that's kind of, that's, that's where my head is at with that stuff. And um, the next couple of years will be very interesting to watch now that Microsoft is being much more aggressive in cutting things and investing where they're making money, which uh, this shouldn't be a big surprise. Sachin Nadella came from the enterprise market. He came from the cloud side. That's where they're investing. And they're not so much investing in the consumer services because Microsoft can't make money there. Apple can. Google makes some money there too. Uh, but again, they're still primarily based off of search. Uh, at this time, but you know, things do change. 
uh, other things happening in the world of Microsoft and all that stuff. Uh, Microsoft brings PowerShell Core to Windows, Mac OS, and Linux. If you get excited by that, um, and it, which I know some people are, some people like that shell stuff, that is now available. And uh, so here's the other big thing that happened this week. Other big stuff. So there's been this kind of, um, pardon my French here, shit show with this meltdown inspector uh, bugs, right? Bugs, security flaws, whatever you want to call them. So quick recap, Intel came out and said, hey, our stuff's impacted. AMD came out and said, no, our stuff isn't impacted. Um, Intel put out a statement saying, hey, yes, you're actually going to have some slowdowns, but wouldn't really tell us anything. And, and AMD kind of sat there like smug little jerks and said, we're not impacted, we're actually immune. So fast forward a couple days, uh, Microsoft, who is kind of stuck in the awkwardness of the middle of this, uh, said, you know what, fine, we're going to start giving some advice about what's going to happen. And so basically here, if you're running anything older than Skylake or Kaby Lake, and you're a consumer, you're going to notice some slowdowns. It's going to be apparent. And so the newer chips aren't as impacted. They still are, but it's not as big of a deal. But older chips, you're going to have serious issues. If you're running Windows Server, doesn't matter what chipset you're running, you're going to have issues. And so basically the intent here is that Microsoft is telling people that if you have a PC with a Haswell chip or older, you really got to be paying attention, especially if you're doing a lot of data intensive workloads, what Microsoft is calling IO workloads or input output workloads. Um, you're going to have some trouble. The real concern here becomes in the data center where you have a server or whatever, that is running Windows Server doing whatever critical application. Let's say it's running at 80% capacity, which is, you know, not, that's pretty good, pretty normal. Most people don't run their servers at 100% capacity all the time. Now, the problem becomes once you apply this patch, that 80% very well could jump up to 90 or even 100%, uh, which then becomes an issue where you have throttling, which then becomes where an issue of performance issues, uh, which is a really bad situation if you're in a small office and you apply a PC patch and then now your corporate, uh, your data, and your critical mission, critical applications are now hitting throttling issues because the CPU is overloaded. So uh, th this is a very serious issue. And so it was just Intel things that were getting hit by this. And then AMD was kind of like, ah, shit. Uh, and they came out with some issue. They came out with a statement that's saying, hey, you know what? Actually, some of those Google uh, uncovered issues, I think it's Spectre 2 to be specific, does actually impact AMD, and they're now pushing out patches. Uh, and they're, they're also working with Microsoft because some of Microsoft's patches were basically not fully bricking, but um, not allowing some AMD-based machines to boot. Yeah, so here's here's the nutshell. If you have an Intel chip or an AMD chip, you're going to be getting a patch from Microsoft. And um, then you're also going to be getting a microcode patch. And a microcode patch comes from your OEM. And here's the big problem. Uh, all these computers that are going to be seriously impacted are much older. I mean, older being a couple years, but a lot of people hold on to their chips, and I don't blame them, for several years. And so they're now dependent on the OEM to shift a shift, uh, to release a patch to plug all this stuff and OEMs don't exactly have a great reputation for extremely long-term support like Microsoft actually does. Microsoft does uh, very well with supporting their OSs for a decade or more. And so now, now we're in this awkward thing. It's like, okay, Microsoft shift patch, but when are all the OEMs going to take on this burden and start shipping microcode updates to patch the CPUs and blah, 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 blah. And you can, you can see here that this is a very serious problem because people are going to look at this and say, eh, if I don't install the patch, then I'm going to keep my same performance level but then you're vulnerable for the end user. And it's not good because some of these exploits can be executed with JavaScript, which actually can be run from a web browser. And so, yeah, like it's a bad, 
bad problem. Um, and, and unfortunately, we don't know the full impact and how long it's going to take to patch everything. And Intel's just kind of been giving Intel really shame on them. They've they've released some corporate statements that are just not correct or giving the best advice, talking about how 90% of CPUs are already patched. And by 90%, they mean um, they actually have the ability to patch them, not that they are patched. So, yeah, uh, this this will be ongoing here. But, um, gosh, <laughs> it is... It's, it's, mm, yeah, um, just be on the lookout. And the other thing too here is what about if you have a custom built PC? Where are you getting your patches from? Is it going to come from the OEM? Is it going to come from the motherboard manufacturer? Who's shipping and protecting those machines? I say that as I'm about to build a new computer probably next week. Fun, 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 fun times. I got to tell you guys, I'm so happy to be back from CES. I don't... let me explain why I don't like CES. I've probably said this 10, 15, 20 times. CES is not in itself not bad. So if it was just myself going to Las Vegas to look at new stuff and try to report on what's happening, that would be great. The problem is that it's me and quite literally 140,000 people as well. And so it is, it's a cluster of just humanity all trying to get to the same place. There's n- never enough taxis. There's, the hotel rooms are expensive. Um, there's diseases everywhere. And the fact that it was raining and things were flooding because the, ve- the desert doesn't deal with rain all that well. Who knew? So anyways, I'm uh, going to jump into the questions here. And so Jim Chaplin says, what is the general mood at CES this year? Are people sore at Intel? Are PC builders antsy about what they could be? Uh, what could be a rather angry upgrade cycle. How do folks feel? So I will tell you that the general sentiment was that this show, um, I know people say this every year, it seems to be losing a little bit of its luster, at least from kind of like the high end and, and anything to do with the computing market. Because this year, it just, it always feels like last year, but just a little bit faster, right? It's just, it's the same laptops. Thin and light is no longer really a selling point in my opinion anymore because everything is thin and light. Shaving off 10% now is like less than a millimeter and people are like, we're 10% thinner, but we shaved off half a millimeter. It's like, nobody can feel that or tell the difference. Give me better battery life. And so it's, it's just kind of like, meh. Like, if it wasn't for all the major players there where, where you can go meet and greet and do all that stuff, I don't know if we would go because for the other part, too, is more than half, it seemed like almost everything was announced before the show. It comes out in press releases, and so you can sit and write it up. You have it under embargo. I mean, we got all that stuff from all the major vendors. And so the general sentiment there is that it's just kind of like, yeah, like, this is neat. But is this show really showcasing the future anymore? No, because here's why. All these vendors now know that if they hold an event, people will come. And so, yeah, we're, we're not going to see an event for a Bixby-enabled refrigerator. But I will tell you that if I had never had to go to another CES, I wouldn't be upset because it's not, like, it's not great. Because think about like the the revolutionary new laptops. There aren't any. There's nothing that was announced that was so cool and so crazy that it's going to shift the industry. Because those types of things are announced at separate events on their own. Like even I was thinking like AR VR stuff, but like all that stuff gets announced by its own. So CES is kind of a lot like walking into a Best Buy that is in the Las Vegas Convention Center. That is kind of the best way to think about it. Uh, I wouldn't say it's like a negative move, but a lot of people just look at all this stuff. I mean, for like there were humidifiers there that had uh, Alexa built in. It's like, really? Like, what, what is the point? Um, 
And so it's a neat thing. I, if you've never been, I mean, somebody, you should go once. Like it's one of those things that if you have the ability or capacity to get there, I'd say go once and then you, you'll truly understand. But at the same time, you're honestly not missing a whole lot. And the, the other thing that kills me is that a lot of the products we saw, like there's, um, there's one thing coming from Lenovo. Well, the Mirage Solo heads, it's not like that stuff's launching this week. Like they were showing off their, they have a what's equivalent of the Echo Show from Amazon. Uh, they have one for the Google Assistant. And granted, I really liked it, but it's not shipping until July. So they show this thing off and then it's like, okay, you can't buy it for quite literally five months from now, five and a half months from now. And so, yeah, um, that's kind of the, the gripe with CES is it's here today, but you can't buy until tomorrow, if ever. And some of these products do never actually make it out. So... Uh, Peter K says, what do you think if Siri and Cortana would join forces? Do you think they would stand a chance? I actually think that's a smart move. Um, I think it would make a lot of sense for Microsoft to help out with uh, Siri on the back end with some of the contextually aware things. Uh, I, I do think that there is an advantage there. I actually think there's a pretty big advantage if Amazon, Siri, and Cortana would all team up because Google Assistant is, in my opinion, the best suited assistant for the long-term future. It's impressive how quickly Google is ramping up its capabilities and how well it works and integrates. And so um, I, I think there's a lot of benefit. We've already seen Microsoft and Amazon starting to work together. So we know it's possible. We do know it's possible. The, the question with all of this is Apple is pretty boneheaded about not letting anybody touch their sacred um, code, even though some of their code sometimes ships like High Sierra without password protections. Whoops. So it, it's going to require some fundamental changes in a Apple's thinking, but if Apple can actually learn to understand and embrace the ecosystem of Microsoft um, and Amazon for that matter, I, I think there's a lot of good benefit, but um, Amazon and Apple teaming up might be a little bit tougher, but I could definitely see Microsoft. I mean, heck, they're already doing some stuff because they've got uh, iTunes coming to the store, which is still happening by the way, but um, yeah. The other thing too, we were supposed to, I thought we were hoping we were going to hear about further Cortana and Alexa integration at CES, but we did not, unfortunately. Uh, Poncelia says, if the demise of is the demise of Cortana yet further evidence that Microsoft's abandonment of mobile is having ripples that are moving throughout the consumer space? Yeah, it, it, Microsoft not having a mobile device impacts many. I, I, guarantee, I can almost guarantee that if uh, Windows Mobile was still around, I bet we'd still have Groove. I'm fairly confident in that. Um, Cortana being another one of those things because most people use their digital assistants on their phone. Now, granted, smart speakers are another avenue, but they're not nearly, I mean, Amazon will sell millions of Alexas, uh, Alexa-enabled devices this year, and Apple and Google will sell hundreds of millions of phones with these device assistants built in. And so uh, by them not having a mobile platform, yes, it absolutely is having ripple effects on Cortana. I fully believe that. And then Simard57 says, with Outlook Premium going away, what has Microsoft decided to do with customized domains that were provided? So I believe you're going to need to check into this. I thought they were actually migrating them to GoDaddy, uh, is my understanding. They were doing something along, they had some sort of partnership with them. And if you have a customized domain with Outlook Premium, you should definitely check into that. They did announce it at one point. So, oh, what a what a week, guys. I, I'm I'm very curious to see what people's opinions are. But, you know, definitely shout out in the comments or whatever uh, about your feelings of Microsoft and Apple actually working closer together. I, I, I do think there's serious value there at the end of the day. And I think it makes a lot of sense. 
I, I really do. As these two companies get further defined in their next generation approach to computing, um, yeah, I, I do think it makes a lot of sense, guys. So uh, that about wraps it up for today, guys. I'm going to close it down here mostly because I need to uh, get this stuff uploaded. Then I got to go run and grab my kid before her school closes. I'm supposed to get a bunch of snow and ice, which means it's going to make for a fun weekend of playing outside. But uh, no matter where you are, I hope you had a wonderful week and a good weekend. We'll be right back here with normal time, normal everything next week on the Sam's Report. Have yourselves a wonderful day.